Luke chapter 22, and particularly verse 33, and at the same time, if you would in your hand, turn to Acts 21.13. We're going to compare two texts in just a little bit. The title that is on the screen for our sermon slide tonight, You Have to Be Prepared to Die Before You Can Begin to Live, is actually a book, a nonfiction book written by Paul Kicks. It was recently published this year. I've been reading it myself. And the subtitle is 10 Weeks in Birmingham That Changed America During the Nonviolent um, Walks and Protesting of the um, Movement Martin Luther King Was Involved In. I don't know if you realize it, but Monday was the 60th anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech. And uh, I listened to that again. It's always inspiring to listen to that speech. Um, You all would know Martin Luther King. We have the uh, remembrance of the memorial service, so to speak, uh, in our own town. We play tribute here. Um, But a name that you don't know that was very vital in that movement at the time was a guy named Charles Billups. On May 5th, 1963, which would have been three months before the I Have a Dream speech took place, Um, Charles Billups, and he's described this way in the book, a short man with a light frame, unassuming, and not much that you think would come from him. Um, But one day, Martin Luther King was not in Birmingham, and him and another one of his friends that were leading in that little piece of the movement decided they were going to do a spontaneous march. And so they called a number of people to get together and In a very, very short period of time, over a thousand people showed up for this march. And they were going to march all the way down to the police station, basically. And so they all got lined up and they started walking. And when they got close enough, if you remember the name Bull Connor, who was the leader of all of the anti, you know, uh, march, trying to prohibit it all, was they brought the German shepherds, the dogs. They had these large fire hoses, three of them, which he thought at first were machine guns he put in there, but they weren't. They were large hoses. And what they would do is they would turn them on full blast. If you know if you're anywhere close to one of those, it could take your skin off and sometimes even kill you. That's how strong the force is that comes out of those. And he had three of those and they were going to use them on them. They had already done that numerous times, not to mention the dogs and all the things else. And so they're beginning to walk and get close, they are in view of all of the officers and all the dogs and all of the, and they, they began to sing a song. And before I il- finish the illustration, I want you to hear, I don't, you probably have never heard it. It's becoming more popular in recent days, bringing it out of historical antiquity, so to speak. But it's a, it's a Negro spiritual, and this is a song, so to get a little idea in your mind, uh, Charles Billups began to sing this song by himself and then it caught on with the people next to him and within a minute, everyone all the way back to thousand people were all singing it at one time. And the name of the song is I Want Jesus to Walk With Me. And uh, so there's a choir, not a Christian group at all, but they're, they're gonna give you a rendition of what this song was that they sang on that day.
That's the song that he started singing that day, and it filtered all the way back to a thousand people were singing it, and Bill, Bull Connor said to that that they needed to leave or they were going to get wet. That was his way of saying they were going to turn the hoses on them, and so the song stopped, and Charles Billup said this as loud as he could. It actually said he yelled it. We are not turning back. We have done nothing wrong. And interestingly enough, that he was not a leader in the um, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which Martin Luther King ran. He wasn't even the main pastor of his church. He was an associate pastor, but he was the leader that day. And one year earlier, just to give you a little background to imagine someone having the courage to say that, um, he had gone on a different march and they had turned the dogs on them and the hoses on everything and so everyone was scattered and they ran and when they ran, he ran into a group of KKK people and they grabbed him and kidnapped him and drug him off to the woods and they beat him with chains and then they took his clothes off and they took a branding iron this big that had KKK and they burned KKK into his stomach and left him. That was only a year before this event. And so 
this is the guy. So he's standing there, um, and he says this to them. All we want is our freedom. And when he said that, in front of all of them, he just be, he got down on his knees and began to pray. And as he prayed, he said, feel free to turn on your water, turn loose your dogs. And then he said this, we will stand here until we die. Until we die. The book title, you have to be prepared to die before you can begin to live. I would tell you that he was beginning to live or he had begun to live. You know why? He was ready to die because he believed in what he was doing and that Jesus was walking with him. Now, here's what happened. They refused to go back or turn back at all. And as he prayed those prayers and said those words, he began to cry. And then Bull Connor gave the command to shoot them with the water and release the dogs and do everything. And not one of his officers did anything he said. They were all crying. (laughs) They were all crying. And one of them spoke up and said, you know what? We won't do it because we use hoses to put out fires, not put out people. And they all dropped their hoses, took their dogs, and walked off. And every one of the thousand people that day, it's called the Miracle March. They all walked around the police officers, around the fire hose, and kept walking and went on. And not one single person was harmed. Oh, so you know what? Here's a guy who had begun to live. He put it all out there on the line. And you know what made the difference for him? Is that he was prepared to die because he knew where, no matter what he was doing, Jesus was walking with him. See, I've come to the conclusion in reading that story in that book that not everybody is. Uh, Not everybody who claims the name of Jesus. Not everyone who would believe that strongly that even in those difficult times that Jesus would walk with them. There are two stories, and I purposely chose them because I believe Luke, who wrote both of them, purposely put them in there. And you'll see with the exact parallel language that I don't think there's a mistake that they are meant to be contrasted. One is in Luke 22, which I had put your hand in, and the other one is in Acts 21. And so we're going to look at both of them, and I want you to literally hold one in one hand and the other because I want to have you flip back and forth, and I, have you, I want you to do this. I want you to read them both. And tell me what is the same in both of them. Okay? I'm going to read them out loud. You can read them in your text. I'll read the first one, Luke twenty-two thirty-three. 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Acts 20. Now that's Peter. The second one is Paul. Acts 21, 13. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What is the same about those texts? Even down to exact wording if you want to. Someone help, give me a guess, Sandy. Yes, they're both saying, and here's the words, they are ready. That's the key. I am ready. Both of them say that. Both of them say it in that order, to prison and to death, right? They both are Jesus' disciples, Peter in person, Paul, not quite as much in person. But they both say, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. Did both of them do that? 
after uttering these words. Did Peter live up to those words right after he said them? What happened to him? He denied Jesus three times. In the text in which we are reading in Luke 22, if you'll turn back there for a second, you'll see that a couple of things. Number one, he's told him, Simon, Simon, anytime you get a double vocative in Scripture, it's that person needs to be, it's a warning, something very crucial. God's Moses, Moses, Saul, Saul, Martha, Martha, Jacob, Jacob. I mean, you get the double vocative and God says it to you, um, Abraham, Abraham, stop killing your son. Don't, don't do that. So anytime God uses that double vocative, That is very, very serious stuff from God. And Jesus is trying to be as serious as he possibly can to Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold. There's another one. This is about as emotive as you can get. Satan has desired or demanded to have you. It means to acquire by force. (laughs) He's not asking. He's demanding. And he's going to sift him. He's going to see what his faith is really all about. And then you have in our other text, in Acts 21, 13, Paul. Paul is going to go to Jerusalem, and there's Agabus, the prophet, who comes and takes his belt and says to everyone that's standing there that day, whoever wears this belt, they are going to take him and chain him as if this belt is his chain, and he will be handed over and delivered to the Gentiles, which is an exact duplicate phrase of what was recorded Uh, of what happened to Jesus. So what's the difference between the two, right? What's the difference? The difference is Peter was said he was ready, but he wasn't. Paul said he was ready, and he was. Can we learn anything? One of them said they were prepared to die, but he wasn't. So what's the difference between the two? Let me have you write this down. I'm going to make a statement. I hope you'll remember it. Meditate on it throughout this week at least. All right. One of them, Peter's statement about being ready to die and being prepared, was pre-cross. Paul's was post-cross, after Jesus' death and resurrection. Let me tell you why that is absolutely crucial. If you look at the book of Luke, you'll find that Peter was told, and so were all the disciples, on multiple occasions... Multiple, and I can give you the references, Luke 9, 23, Luke 14, 27, and other more subtle references. They were told by Jesus that he had to go to Jerusalem, and when they got there, that they were going to arrest him, that they were going to beat him, and they were going to crucify him. And on the third day, he would rise again. Cross language was not unheard of to Peter. He heard that story. He understands that Jesus's mission involves that. He never got it. Hold your finger. You can just listen if you want to. At the resurrection, here's what the angel says to them in verse 6 of 24. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. What did he tell them? Listen to this. This is what was already told them back in chapter 9 that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and raised on the third day. He's saying to them, see, Jesus already told you this, but you're shocked that he died and that he's going to rise again. They heard it. They never grasped it. 
Peter denies Jesus. He doesn't keep his word. He's not prepared to die. And the reason is, is because he never grasped the cross and its implications for his life. I want to give you a phrase, and I hope that you'll fa- you put it in your heart and mind and meditate on it. You can't die for Jesus until you first die with Jesus. Let me say it again. You can't really ever die for Jesus if you haven't first died with him. See, Peter didn't do that. He didn't show up at the cross. He didn't take up his cross. He didn't count the cost. And as a couple people made tonight, if you're going to be prepared to die, the first thing that came to their mind was you have to deny yourself. Tina said that. Conrad said that. You have to die to your sin and yourself. Peter's functional framework for choosing things that he would and wouldn't do in life had no cross in it. What does it look like when you don't have a cross in your life? Luke 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Two things, write it down. When you don't have a cross in your life, you will make two major mistakes, both of which the cross addresses. And this will tell you whether this is you tonight. The first one is, is that you will think too much of yourself. Here's what he says. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready. Now, think about it, though. Peter was the oldest disciple. He was the number one. One disciple, he had graduated from three years of the Jesus Seminary in person. He had been on the Mount of Transfiguration, had seen Jesus transformed into his glorified, his glorified body. He had been there. He had seen all of those things. He, out of all the disciples, had walked on the water with Jesus. He had all of these past spiritual experiences He thought that he was ready. He thought that no matter what came, that he would be ready to die and go to prison and to die with Jesus. He wasn't ready. And the reason was, is he thought too much of himself. He thought he was more mature, further advanced than he really was. I can't tell you how many stories I've read on the internet, how many I've seen on TV of pastors who have big churches, super quote-unquote successful, have all these things, famous, popular, and their life is a mess. And they go out on their wife and their adulterers and all that that goes on with it. They've had to be relieved of their churches and they think that they're ready for it, all of us. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12? What does it say? If you think you stand, take, yes, take heed lest you fall. Peter thought he had it together. He thought he was ready. And you know what? You think too highly of yourself. You trusted yourself. Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. This would look like someone who thinks that they can be by themselves at home on the internet late at night and no one is there or no one's up and they can handle it. See, you think too highly of yourself. It's someone who allows their children to have a phone with no, nothing on it to protect them from all the things that are on there. And they could watch the, have their phone and use it without anyone ever checking on it or doing any of those types of things. See, we think too highly of ourselves. We think that we can handle it. 
that we can handle that lunch with someone of the opposite sex at work. We think that we can handle those things. We think that we can watch certain movies and things that go on in those movies, or we'll fast forward it when we probably won't. See, we think we can handle it. We think that we are there. We think that we have the strength that we really don't have. And on the same side, if you flip that coin over, you know what you'll find? You'll find that not only do you think too much of yourself, but you think too little of Satan. And they always go hand in hand. He didn't know it, but here's what it says. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you. It's just like Job with the opposite results. See, he didn't realize it, but on that night where he thought he could sleep through praying with Jesus in the garden and really didn't need to stay awake. See, he thought he was there, but he wasn't. He wasn't there, and Satan knew it. But here's the crazy thing. Peter didn't, but Satan did. He knew he wasn't ready because there was no cross in Peter's following. There wasn't. Read the passage. Metaphorically and literally, he followed at a distance, and he went so far, and he went, to the, he went into the place, warmed himself by the fire. And a little girl, two out of the three times, a little servant girl was the one that he denied Jesus to. I bet if he looked back, he never saw that night coming, never thought that that's what he'd be reduced to. I think that's why after the resurrection that he went fishing, I don't think he ever thought that Jesus would take him back and ever want to use him. See, but he, he overestimated himself and underestimated Satan, and we do that all the time, that we think that we can handle working all these hours and not being home with our wife and spending time with our family. See, we, we think those things. That we can slack off and we don't need to pray today. We don't need to read the Bible today. Oh, I don't really need to be at church. And we believe those things to our own failure. Peter, Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you because your faith is not what it ought to be. And it's going to cost you. You contrast that if you hold your finger there and turn over to Acts chapter 21. If you can't, if you're already there. What a contrast it is. Same words Paul uses, identical in the Greek. Different results altogether. Why? Post-cross. See, Peter had no cross, no cross in his framework of everyday life. Paul did. Paul did. If you look at the verse in chapter 21 and verse 13, He is going to Jerusalem. Though, Don't get me wrong. In chapter 20 and verse 16, he already had been planning. He was hurrying to go there. In chapter 19 and verse 21, he was told by God that he needed to go there. And after he got to Jerusalem, he needed to go to Rome. So his agenda was already taken care of by God's scheduling crew, if I can say it that way. So he knew what he needed to do. He knew from the very outset, if you read chapter 9 of Acts that he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to suffer. In fact, Ananias went to say this to him. I'm supposed to tell you how many things you're going to suffer for the Lord's sake. He knew that suffering in a cross was his mission from the very beginning. Now see, Peter had no suffering, no crosses. He wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. Read the book of Acts. From the very beginning of the moment that Saul becomes Paul and gets saved, he is suffering the very week that he gets saved. They're after him. And they're relentless all the way up to the chapter that we are in. Now listen, this is what makes it hard. In chapter 20, at the end of it, he's standing on the shore with people from Ephesus that he's really, really close to. 
He spent three years there. He's very close to these people, and he tells them they're sorrowing. And he says, and the most sorrowful thing was, he said, this is the last time that you will ever see my face. You will never see me in this world again. And it says he knelt down on the shore at the end of chapter 20, and it says they cried and they wept on each other's shoulder. So here he is. He's already been emotional. He's not seeing some of the most close friends he has in this world. Chapter 21, he travels to Caesarea with Philip and his, his daughters who are you know, there and the four daughters that live with him. And he has Agabus come up. And Agabus takes the belt and says, you know, this is going to happen to you. And it says this. Look at the chapter, verse 8. On the next day we parted and came to Caesarea, the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven, meaning deacons, and stayed with him. His daughters, he stayed with them many days. And verse 11, coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his feet, hands. Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt, deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we, including Luke, who wrote Acts, his friend, very close friend, he says, we and the people there urged him, it means to plead with him, to beg him, not to go up to Jerusalem. So he, he just had a group of people that he wept on and cried, I'll never see you again. Now he's got another people, a group of people, who are begging him not to do exactly what God had already told him two chapters ago to do. Listen to all the emotion. What are you doing? Listen, have you, let me tell you the difference and think about this in your mind. Peter had to stand up for Jesus on that night and he had to be willing and prepared to die but he was facing his foes. That's hard. But here's the difference. Paul was facing his friends. You know, both of those are really a struggle. Do you know it's hard to stand up for something that you don't believe in? Or something that your own family or friends don't believe in? I remember growing up and having to face your friends at a Christian school and saying, nope, I know you guys are all going to do that, but I'm not going to. You're the only one. It's one thing to say to your foes, I know you don't believe what I believe, and I'm going to stand for it anyways. Remember what Philip said? We're going to stand here until we die. That takes a certain courage, doesn't it? You have to be prepared to die to do that. But what about your friends? What about people in your family who don't agree with you? What about people that you love and respect, but they don't see anything about what you believe in at all? Paul says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. It is a Greek word that literally means to break into pieces. You are break, you're trying to break my heart? Can I tell you this? Here's how you do it. How can you be ready and prepared to die so you can begin to live? Number one, you cannot be ruled by your emotions. You cannot be. You cannot be ruled by your feelings. You cannot be ruled by friendships or relationships with people who are meaning, well-meaning he says, in fact, he, if you read it text, he is upbraiding them. He's getting on their case because they, in their love for him, are putting that above what God wants. In fact, they, at the end, they come to the conclusion. They say this, ah, we can't persuade him. The will of the Lord be done. They came to that conclusion, but he didn't like the fact that his own friends were trying to persuade him not to do something because it would cost him. Do we have that kind of courage? See, that's what Paul says. He goes, so when he would, verse 14, look at it. So when he would not be 
persuaded. Same word in Romans 8, for I am persuaded, 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the same word. I'm persuaded. It is, I have not listened to your argument. You can't move me from the direction I'm going. See, that's what it looks like when you're prepared to die. That people can argue with you. They can try to push you. They can try to push you and pull you in different directions. Well-meaning people. But Paul wouldn't be moved. He knew what the direction that God had for him. He knew it was right and he was going to do it. And you couldn't talk him out of it. He wouldn't let tears and emotions and people that he loved persuade him any other way. See, that was Charles Billups. He, the hoses were standing there. The dogs were there. Turn them loose, he says. Put the dogs on us. We stand here. Oh, see, that's what I'm talking about. See, that's what he said. See, he was prepared to die. Therefore, he could live. He could live right. See, that's what you and I need. And can I tell you this? It's coming. It's coming to America. You are going to be told that you will say these pronouns or else. It may not be hoses and it may not be dogs. And we're going to have to stand up for what we believe. And sometimes it'll be your foes and sometimes it'll be your friends. Even Agabus gives the prophecy. And even though God, he knew, listen to this. Would you stand for God if you knew their results ahead of time were negative? It's one thing to say, I'm going to stand for God. I don't know how it's going to come out. He says, if you read it, listen to chapter 20 and verses 22 through 24. He goes, I go there, Jerusalem, not knowing what shall happen to me except this, that chains and imprisonment await me. He says, that's what I know. Every city that I go to from now on, here's what I'm waiting for. They're going to have chains and imprisonment. They're going to beat me and torture me and put me in prison. That I do know. Would you go? Let's take a missions trip, but you might not come back. Would you go? Paul did. You know why? Because he could live like that. He could begin to live because he had been prepared to die. I would like to close tonight by having you encouraged by this little verse. Turn to 2 Peter. Can I tell you this? That's not how Peter's story ended. He wasn't ready on that day. Oh, but there was a time later, post-cross, that Peter learned what all of that meant. He finally grasped the cross and Jesus and what his life was all about in that sense. And he was ready to do exactly. Because can I tell you this? That day, Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him because he wasn't ready to take up his cross. But after the resurrection, Jesus had another conversation with Peter and told him something far different. And on the last year of his life, which is about eighty sixty four. He writes 2 Peter, which would be the last thing that he ever wrote. And Peter says this in chapter 1 of 2 Peter in verse 13. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, which means, get the idea, he's starting to hint that he isn't going to be much longer. To stir you up by the way of reminder, since I know, listen to this, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He is going to die. 
Tradition says that he was crucified upside down because he wasn't willing, he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So they asked, he asked to be crucified upside down. To stir you up, he says, I know the putting off of my body will be soon. Watch, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Oh, that day in John 21 on the shore, he says, they're going to pick you up, Peter, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And the Bible says, and this is what Jesus said to signify what death he would glorify God. Oh, you know what it was? It was a cross. He finally got it. He finally got it. You know how Peter began to live and how his life changed and God used him since Pentecost all the way on through the rest of his ministry? You know how he began to live? Because he was really prepared to die because the cross became the center of everything in his life. And he says this in verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, circle that word because it is the Greek word exodus. Jesus' death through the cross is described by Luke in chapter 9 and verse 31 with that exact same word. Jesus said, I have to go to Jerusalem because that's where my exodus is taking place. See, the first exodus with Moses was delivering his people out of slavery and bondage. It was the first exodus. Jesus' death on the cross was the second exodus. And it was not to deliver them from physical chains, but spiritual ones. And see, Peter says, see, I finally get it. I want to be like him. I want my death on the cross to be like his death on the cross. I want it to be an exodus. I want people to know I've been freed. I've been liberated. I'm changed. And the cross of Jesus has done that for me. See, he finally, he grasped it. See, do you grasp it? Do you grasp that the cross is not something to be relegated to the far-off future sometime or to the past and say, oh, Jesus died on the cross, and because of it, I get to go to heaven? Did you realize that Paul says, no, we die daily. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, that's what it means to be the cross. See, I... I can't really ever believe that I could die for him if I haven't first died with him. Do you die to that? Do you die to yourself? Die to your sin? Are you overestimating yourself and underestimating? See, that's what Peter's getting after. It cost him three denials and a lot of agony. Until we get that, until we put the cross in the center of our lives, we are doomed for the same thing. But we can be different because Peter was changed. He was changed by putting the cross at the center of his life. Paul and Peter exemplify for us having a crucifixion, cruciform life. See, that's what we need. That's what Charles Billup had on that day. And what a difference it made. How about you? Let's pray. Ah, Father, help us. Ah, may we sing... I want Jesus to walk with me. Oh, Lord, he didn't just want him to walk with him when things were great and smooth. But when the song says, in our trials and in our troubles, I want Jesus to walk with me. Oh, you'll walk with us through the fiery furnaces, you will. You'll walk with us before the fire hoses and the dogs. You'll walk with us someday when they demand that we submit to them or lose our job or lose our freedom 
perhaps even lose our lives. Oh, Lord, may we now, may we now prepare so that we can live for you. And we'll thank you for this rich blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.